0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Well, I just actually want to start by following up on um, Nick's prayer this morning, where he just reminded us that uh, many of the early disciples and the early Christians were martyred for their faith. And uh, it just made me think that actually we stand on the shoulders of giants, don't we? And one of the things that St. Paul prayed for the early church was he kept saying, he kept praying, he said, I keep praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which you've been called the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And you know, we haven't seen Jesus face to face like the disciples did, but Jesus still actually said, do you remember what he said to Thomas? He said, you, you've seen and you believe, but actually blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed. So let's not feel like we're at a disadvantage because we didn't say, see those things. Jesus says, actually, there's there's, there's additional blessing if you've not seen and yet you've believed and yet Paul prays particularly for us to have the Holy Spirit so that we will have that sense of revelation of what happened 2,000 years ago and of what it means of an inheritance and our glorious hope and the incomparably great power there is for us who believe and so I want to pray for that for us this morning as we come to God's word that uh, the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened the revelation of the Holy Spirit let's pray father we thank you for uh, all that you've said and done this morning and we now pray that as we come to your word which we declare we believe is inerrant and it is your very word and through the power of your spirit it can speak to us now though it was written over 2,000 years ago much of it certainly the part we're going to look at today but we still believe that that is your eternal word and it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, bring us revelation, speak to us, let this be the very word of the Lord for us this day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are um, in the middle of a series where we're looking at the life of David and uh, Ruth spoke really powerfully last week. Those of you who are in here, she did a great job just talking about really a review of Saul's life, some of the lessons that Saul didn't learn. And, uh, and so we've now come to the point where Saul, the previous king of Israel, is dead, and David has now been anointed as king over a, a united Israel. And uh, the first thing that he wants to do uh, in his premiership of the whole of Israel is to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, uh, to bring it to Jerusalem, to be at the very centre of uh, the community. And so we're picking up uh, that story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're just going to read the first 15 verses, and the words <coughs> will come up on the screen for you. And then I want us to just just pull perhaps just three things that we might learn out of this. Do you know what the Bible says about the Old Testament? So Paul says these things were written as instruction for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. Isn't that amazing that these stories that we read about now were written with Beacon Church in mind? They were written as instruction for us upon whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So as we come to a story in the Old Testament, let's, let's just remember that actually, God, this was written for us. When this story happened, the Sovereign Lord, who sees and knows all things, knew that this Sunday morning, a small gathering of his people would read this story. And therefore, let's come expecting him to speak. So, 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 15. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Azza and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, And then when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the Ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means break out against Uzzah, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him, because the ark of God is there. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the horn. Uh, This story sort of starts off pretty well, doesn't it? Um, This was not what was expected to happen. David has gathered these folk to bring back the ark, which has been away from the people of Israel for around about 70 years. And the history of that is that, uh, these, that we remember the prophet Samuel, who took over from the prophet Eli, and Eli had two wicked sons, and they took the ark with them a bit like a, you might take a rabbit's foot with you into battle, as a sort of token of luck, good luck. And uh, unsurprisingly, God will not allow himself to be used like that. We don't carry him around in our pockets like some lucky charm. And so on that day, the Philistines win. And they capture the ark. Uh, but they decide not to keep it for too long. Because there are some consequences for them. And so very quickly, they, they build a new uh, cart for it. They put it on a cart. They just send it off until it arrives, in fact, at the house of this Uh, Israelite guy called Abinadab, and that's where it stays for the whole of Saul's reign. He doesn't go and seek it out, he doesn't want to bring it back. That says something really, doesn't it, about Saul, in terms of wanting the presence of God to be central in his kingship and in his life. So he doesn't seek it out, and it just stays with Abinadab for the best part of 70 years. And then David goes to reclaim it he wants it to be absolutely central because what the ark speaks about is the presence the very presence of god with his people and david doesn't want to rule this people without that so he makes this plan to go and get it and bring it back there's great rejoicing and then this happens so what do i want to pull out of this well i want to pull out just three things there could be many things but this is what i just felt as i was preparing to So the first lesson that I think we can draw maybe from this story is this one. Beware the sin of presumption. Okay, beware the sin of presumption. Uzzah was either the son or the grandson. We're not quite sure. He's called the son in this account, but that could also mean grandson. He was either the son or the grandson of Abinadab. Azza had probably been used to being around the ark, it had been in his father or his grandfather's home for the best part of 70 years. Now there's a, a phrase that we sometimes use in English, and a lot of our phrases that we use actually have a, a ring of truth to them. There's that one that says, um, "The devil makes work for idle hands." That's not in the Bible, but actually when you think about it, you think, mm, actually, there's quite a lot of truth in that, isn't there? Yeah. And there's another saying that we have, and that is that familiarity breeds contempt. And actually, there is a real danger for us, particularly if we've been Christians for a long time, that our familiarity with the gospel and our familiarity with God as our Father, if we're not careful, it can erode our reverence for Him. And this is what seems to have happened to Azza. We might think that it was very reasonable for him to reach out his hand and to stop. The ark from tumbling onto the ground. He reaches, reaches out. And actually, we might think that it was a bit unreasonable for God to do what he did. But we don't know what the backstory is. Abraham says, Will not the God of all the earth be just? We might not understand why God did that, but God knows the backstory. He sees into our hearts. And maybe there was something else in Uzzah's heart. Maybe he had grown familiar. Maybe he had lost his reverence for the Lord. And this act was almost the last act, the final straw. Do you know what there is? A moment when God's patience runs out. There is a moment when God's patience runs out. It says this in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes... Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When, we think about, when I was thinking about this, I was particularly just, I guess, challenged and actually felt a real deep sense of conviction about those people I know and love who are lost, who don't know the Lord. Because what this story tells us is that God is kind and he is patient, but there is a day when his patience ends. And that happens for all of us. There is a day when God's patience will end with every person who walks the planet. And Jesus talks in the New Testament about the story of Noah. And he says, do you know what? When people... In the days of Noah, people were still getting married and being given in marriage. In other words, life was just going on completely as normal. People were still just going about their daily stuff until the day the door closed and the ark, Jesus says. And then suddenly life finishes. Suddenly, there's an awareness that God's patience, his measured, kind patience, God doesn't... React like we do he is measured but let us not confuse that patience that measured patience with inactivity on his part because the day comes when God's patience runs out do you know what that stirred me as I was thinking about this particularly to pray for those who I just sometimes I just I don't even think about where their trajectory is don't really think quite often where they're heading. The Bible teaches us very clearly that one day, the day of judgment comes, when we'll all stand and give an account. In the book of Hebrews, it says, nothing is hidden from him to whom we will give an account. Now, that should be sobering for us too, but it definitely should be sobering when we consider those we love who don't know him, because that day will come for them sometimes we can just think things like oh well you know i hope they die a peaceful death that's what i hope you know that they're at peace when they die and at least it was a peaceful passing i remember a pastor of mine many many years ago saying do you know what most people who die they don't die peacefully they die in ignorance that's what they do they die in ignorance so let's use this reminder to stir us again to pray for those we love. Because there is an awareness in all of us that the day of God's patience, one day, it will run out. He is kind, he is loving, he is generous, but his patience does run out. The wonderful thing is that he's also the God who hears the prayers of his people, and your prayers are powerful. So when you pray for those you love, who do not know him, you can pray in faith and expect that God will act and hear. But let's just not be blasé about it. These words are written to encourage us to remember that God's patience doesn't run out. What does run out. But also for ourselves. You know what? Sometimes we can be living with ongoing stuff with ongoing sin and uh, it's good for us to remember that sometimes now the Lord's patience will run out now if we know him and we love him and we believe in him and if we are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus then the consequence for us will not be quite the same as for those who don't know him but nevertheless there is still sometimes consequence we can think about the, the early church where Ananias and Sapphira, you remember, they were bringing an offering and they pretended that the offering that they were bringing uh, to the disciples was the full amount that they'd got from selling land. Now, in fact, they didn't need to bring any offering at all or they could have just brought part of the money. But the issue was that they said, this is all of it, we're bringing you all the money. And we know what happened. The Holy Spirit just slays them, both, both, both killed in a moment. And it says that at that moment, boy, the church was gripped with fear and trembling. Sometimes, you know, it's not a bad thing for us to be gripped by a holy fear of the Lord. And to be reminded that actually sometimes with our sin, yes, he is gracious and compassionate, but there can be consequence unless we turn to him. And that's the wonderful thing, we are able to turn to him. You know what it says that, that we can repent. Our God will freely pardon, it, it says in the book of Isaiah. If you come to him, if you turn to him, he'll freely pardon. But let's not live on borrowed time. Okay? If there's stuff in your life that you're aware of and you think, do you know what, I'm just, I'm just living with that. It's going on a bit. But nothing's happened so far. And that's, that's what we can think. I've thought that before. Well, nothing's happened so far. I've not been struck down yet. You know, everything's just going on, people are getting married and being given in marriage. But actually, there does come a moment sometimes when the Lord will say, enough. Like he said to Azza, enough. Let me encourage you, don't live on borrowed time. Come to him. He is a God who freely pardons. Don't live with sin with continuing sin, bring it to him, confess it, ask for his help to turn around, and he will freely pardon. Don't live on borrowed time. But you know what, there's another, before I move to the next point, there's another thing I want to just draw out of this. The wonderful thing for us, when we believe in Christ, is that there was a day, where, another day, when God sent out his measured wrath, like he did on Uzzah. But this time it was even greater because it was for the sins of the whole world. And he poured out his measured wrath on his son so that we wouldn't have to bear it. This story reminds us that actually there's one who's borne the wrath that should be ours. You know, others' fate should be mine. That should be. But there was a day when the Lord God poured it all out on a perfect blameless one so that I would not have to share that fate. Isn't he good to us? So, beware the sin of presumption. Next point. Give God his rightful place, and he will bless everything you touch. So there's a real contrast here between what happens to Uzzah and what happens to this guy called Obed-Edom. And I don't know what the conversation must have been like when Obed-Edom just went into the house and told his wife what was about to happen. You know, um, we just, it's King David's outside. We're, we're going to just look after something for him for a little while. <laughs> um, might need uh, moving the furniture. Might need to make a bit of a space. And uh, we forget that these people were normal people like us. Sometimes we forget that. We read these Bible stories and we think, oh, we must. Obed-Edom must have had a place already for the ark. No, he didn't. He was a normal bloke with a house and a family. You know, he got up to his kids when they cried in the night. He dropped stuff on the floor and swore under his breath when it broke. He was a normal bloke. He was a normal man, and then suddenly there's this thing that's going to come into the house. And you can imagine perhaps that we probably need to keep the kids away from it. Keep the cat off it. Don't dust it, okay? Just don't dust it. Touch it and you die. Um, he did something clearly to accommodate God's presence. He moved the furniture in his house. He accommodated it. In fact, he gave it, I guess, centre stage, really. Everything, suddenly everything in the house has to revolve around this thing. We can't let the kids near it. We mustn't dust it. Move the furniture away. Don't let the cat near it. You know, everything suddenly surrounds this thing that represents the power and the presence of God. And what does it say? Well, it says, the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. And when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Obed-Edom was not a man you would have expected to experience the blessing of God. He wasn't even a Jew. In fact, he was probably a Philistine who was sojourning in their land. He certainly wasn't a Jew. He wasn't going to inherit the blessing that the Jews are inheriting from the Lord. He was a Philistine. And yet he experiences the blessing of God because he moves his life so that it surrounds and is centred around the presence of God. And what does God do? God blesses him. Now, there's a lesson for us there about ensuring that actually... Do you know what? I wonder, I wonder when I thought about this, I wondered if, if where the ark was in Abinadab's house after a while, been there for sort of 50, 60 years after a while, yeah, should we just move it into the spare room? I mean, it's taken up quite a lot of room here, isn't it? Just move it in the spare room. I just wonder if that's partly what happened with Uzzah. Now, the presence of God was suddenly perhaps a bit sidelined. It was a bit of an addition... It was, oh, we we haven't been in to see the ark for a couple of weeks, so we should pop in. yes All right, all right in there. Yeah, all right. That's a very different approach that Obed-Edom has. Clearly, this thing sits centre stage, and God blesses him and his family and everything he touches. Do you know what? When we put God centre stage in our lives, he will bless whatever you touch. He promises to do that. Put him center stage. Uh, a guy called Andrew Wilson, who uh, speaks at New Day quite often. He's a real amazing young man, theologian, and uh, just got his, I think he's recently got his PhD, and uh, quite, quite amazing to listen to him speak. And uh, I remember him at New Day a couple of years ago talking about, a, 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 or his sermon was entitled Pocket God. Pocket God and talked about how people can walk around with God like there's something I mean, you have in your pocket that you bring out every now and then. It's very powerful. I don't know if you, do you remember that pocket God preach? No, some of you. It's fantastic. Let's not, let's not imagine that God is a pocket God that we just keep in our pocket. We bring it out every now and then when we need him. No, let's, let's have our lives surrounded by him. Let's surround. Let's make sure that he is center stage because then the promise is that he will bless everything you touch if you do that. Last one. Humble yourself and become a learner and God will exalt you. For a while, it seems like David seems to walk away from the presence of God. Do you notice what he does? He's angry and he's afraid when this happens and it says he asks the question, What am I doing, taking God's presence, going to get the the symbol of his presence back with me? And for a while, he doesn't want anything much to do with it. And it goes off to Obed-Edom's house. And David sort of, it, it almost feels like he sort of withdraws a bit. You know, he looks at what's happened. He doesn't understand it. It says he's afraid and he's angry because this was not quite how things were supposed to work out. God... I was bringing the ark back. I was doing this to honour you. I've done this in front of 30,000 of my men. And then you strike this guy down. for I don't know why he did that. Do you know what? You're, God, you're too big to handle. I'm, I'm going I'm, to... Hands off. And for a while, he withdraws. Do you know what? There's a lesson for us there that it can be very, very tempting for us when things don't go quite the way we expected or when we are afraid or are a bit angry with God about something. There's a real temptation that actually we can withdraw. We can withdraw. Uh, you, you, God, I don't understand you. You're too big to handle. I'm just uh, Thanks very much, but I'm off. And for a little while, David does that. We don't know really what, what his thinking was at that time, but... There is that danger that we can just withdraw. What do you do when God doesn't make sense? Well, resist the temptation to withdraw. But actually, I think the main thing that David does is he humbles himself. In the account of this story in the book of Chronicles, it unpacks a little bit more about perhaps why Uzzah did die. Because David, it says, during the three-month period that the ark is at Obed-Edom's house, David clearly looks into things like how the ark should be transported. And he finds out when he goes back and looks through the scriptures or he gets advice from his his, uh, advisors that actually the ark shouldn't be transported on a car, even if it's a new one. And it shouldn't be transported by any old person. It should be transported by the Levites. And they should have been ceremonially clean, And they shouldn't be touching it. They should be using the poles, the golden poles, that are made specially to go through the brackets on the side of the ark so that nobody touches it. And that's how it's supposed to be moved. And David suddenly finds all this stuff out. And then, ah, perhaps there's a realisation for him that actually, oh, perhaps what happened to us was partly... No, suddenly he humbles himself, David does. And when things don't go right for us, We have a temptation to withdraw. Well, the other temptation we have is just to carry on regardless. And, you know, David could have done that. He could have just thought, well, okay, I think Uzzah's just died because he just touched it. If we can find a way of just, you know, not touching it, we'll carry on with the journey, right? But actually he didn't do that. He stopped and he paused. And maybe he did withdraw a bit from God because he was a bit angry and afraid. But actually what he does is he humbles himself and he says, God, what... okay, something's happening here, and and I need to, God, I I need to know why, and what, and, and, okay, so I'm actually, yeah, I know I withdrew just now, but I'm coming back, I'm coming back, because God, the answer to this is only going to be found in you, so I'm coming back, yeah, when life is complicated, and confusing, and we're a bit afraid, or a bit angry with God, the thing to do is to humble ourselves at that point, to not resist him, to not withdraw from him, but to humble ourselves, Say, God, have you got something to tell me? Have you got something to reveal to me? And then there's a glorious restoration, isn't there, after that. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes. In the day of prosperity, be happy. In the day of adversity, consider. That's what it says. In the day of adversity, consider. Pause. Stop. Wait. Hang on. Don't carry on. Stop. Stop. It's good advice. And then, do you know what? I just love what David does because I'm not sure I would have done this knowing what I can be like. So this happens to the ark. He's in front of all his mates and he's a bit shamed by what's happened, probably. And and he's a bit angry with God and he's a bit fearful and he withdraws for a bit. And then he hears that the bloke who now has got the ark is being blessed. Okay, I know what my inclination can be. I wallow in a bit of self-pity, and then I'm really covetous and angry about well, you know, blessing him, blessing me. You know, and David, But David doesn't do that. Do you know what David does? When David hears that God is blessing Obed-Edom, David's off to get that ark back again. And he realises that actually, oh, no, God's presence is a good thing. And, you're ble- and God's presence is blessing that guy. Do you know what? I want this presence to be right at the centre center of my premiership of this nation, of God's nation. I want it to be centre stage. Do you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to wallow in self-pity. And I'm not going to stand here thinking, why is he getting the blessing? God, you always do this to me. It's always me that seems to be sidelined. No, he gets over himself. That's what he does. He gets over himself. He sees that now there's blessing in God's presence. I'm coming back. Do you know what's so important for us to do that? You know, sometimes you might sit in a worship meeting and, you know, you've had a tough week or you just can't quite work out what's happening in life and you watch others worship and you sort of sit there and you think, well, that's all right for them. But no, what God is whispering to us when that happens is he's whispering, can you see the blessing that's in my presence? Come on, son. Come on, daughter, back you come. Come into my presence. Come back, there's blessing in my presence. Do it right, reverence me, honour me, obey me. There's blessing in it, come on. Sometimes we can sit there and we think, oh, it's all right for him worshipping away, don't know what my week's just been like, but actually God is saying, come back, come back. There's a lesson here for us to not give in to self-pity to not be covetous of somebody else's wonderful experience of the Lord at the moment, but to know that when I see that, when I see Pete at the front lost in worship and I'm not feeling that way myself, then, I, then what I want to do is instead of thinking it's all right for him, I want to think, oh God, I want to be there. Lord, I'm coming back. I want to be there. We're going, to, uh, we're, going to, we're going to stop there and we're just going to spend a couple of minutes just praying ourselves. So in a moment I'm going to get you just to stand up and we're going to bring up those three points. And I just thought that there might be uh, something that you want to pray about yourself today. So it might be that you think about that, that issue that we heard about right at the start where really there's a familiarity about God. Perhaps that's crept in. Or maybe actually there are those who are really on your heart to pray for. And suddenly you're just remembering again that there's some people that I know and love who just are not walking with God and actually, do you know what? There's a day when God's patience will run out. I want to pray. God, I don't want that for them. I don't want that for that person I love. I don't want them to be living on borrowed time anymore. I don't want that. I'm going to pray. And so there'll be an opportunity for you to pray for those you love or if you yourself are living with something that you know you've just compromised with and you've just let it go on, and but actually, do you know what? Today's the day when you say, God, I'm not, I, I don't want that anymore. I, I don't, there's a holy fear of the Lord in me. I know you've been so kind and so patient, but you know what? I don't, I don't want to try and test you anymore. I know the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. The, my day's come, God. This is it. Today, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm, because with you, you freely pardon might be that okay might be that you um uh want to humble yourself like david there's some stuff that you just think lord i need to there's been some confusing stuff in my life recently i think i've withdrawn from you god i want to come back i want to say speak lord for your servant is listening that's what i want to do i don't want to be in self-pity anymore. I don't want to resist you anymore. I don't want to be covetous of what the other person's got. I just want to come and say, Lord, stuff's not been not going so well. Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming back to you. Will you will you just help me? Will you interpret this for me? Will you help me move on? Or maybe there's something in your life where you just think, okay, actually, I want to. I need to do what obed Edom did. I've been carrying God around a bit like a pocket God. Do you know, I pull Him out on the odd occasion if I need a bit of help. But my life isn't centred around him. So it might be that that's the thing you want to pray about. If you'd like prayer, then you're really welcome to come forward and I'm happy to pray for you. I'll ask uh, Andy just to put some music on. But equally, if you just want to pray where you are or pray with someone next to you, then do that. We're going to just spend three or four minutes to seal God's word by, by praying. And then I'll pray and we'll go off and have a cup of coffee. Okay? So, Andy, if we could have a bit of music, that would be great. Let's stand together and you can pray about one of those things. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.